So I think it's very important, as you have heard from so many incredible leaders, for us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment in time in which we exist and are present, and to be able to contextualize it, to understand where we exist in the history and in the moment as it relates not only to the past but the future. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome to the Ruthless Variety program. That was our eloquent vice president of the United States. What a time to be alive. Fellas. Yeah, in case you didn't recognize that number under her vocals, it was near my God to thee, which is a prayer <laughs> that uh, her press people say every time she opens her mouth. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even kidding. Chat GPT could do a better job of like, you know, you no question. Right, right, right. Vice president comments. All right, done. I mean, it really was just like 30 seconds straight of saying absolutely nothing. I and do. this is the vice president. And that's, I mean, in this situation, being one heartbeat away kind of matters. Biden, God knows how many heartbeats he's got left. Have they really, honestly, concluded in the vice president's office that they can do the sort of like touch the face of God type speech yeah, and get yeah. away with it at I this mean, point? They, they, <laughs> they really think they can. And just what strikes me, honestly, what do we have, 100, 150 million Democrats in this country? And the two who cannot put a sentence together are the ones in charge. Don't they have somebody better? I mean, it's so embarrassing. It's genuinely amazing. But they keep going back to that well of like this amorphous, nonsensical, I guess it's supposed to be aspirational, but it like, it it doesn't land the plane anywhere near the runway on any of it. (laughs) It's embarrassing. Oh, man. I can't, you know what? They said there was a big story today about how Anita Dunn was going to go. Oh, yeah. We've talked to her before. But she, she was showing up around the White House because she's going to help reform the image of <laughs> Kamala. <laughs> and I I mean, boy, you talk about a tough assignment. Yeah. How like, do you how do you go about to I can't wait. I literally cannot wait for her to have standalone campaign events. It is going to be fantastic. I mean, that's going to be content. Oh. endless content. I hope you enjoyed that, folks, because there's going to be a lot of content. <laughs> oh. Can you imagine being a part of the MASH unit that's responsible for taking care of her on a day-to-day basis? But, they, but you wonder, you wonder, when somebody's capable of writing remarks mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and somebody is capable of approving mm-hmm. remarks like that, mm-hmm. not to mention the candidate and the vice president who is capable of looking at it and be like, yes, this is what we should do. Right. You have to believe that they are so locked into a silo mm-hmm. that they 100%. may not even understand how the outside world comprehends what it is that they're doing. I don't, dude, I don't think anybody wrote this. <laughs> I really What do don't. you mean? You think that she extemporaneously spoke that? I think she riffed, dude, this is sort of similar to the previous comments she's made over and over and over again about history and time and our place in it, that this is sort of like, this is no. like her go-to riff. I, I, 
Honestly, I, I actually think that she's incapable of riffing, which is the difference between you and me. I think on this. I, I think I, her I, whole life is a riff. It's like doesn't make sense how she got this far in politics. But 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 look at to see the moment in time in which we exist and are present and are able to contextualize it to understand where we exist in history in the moment as it relates to not only the past but the future you think that's you, that's it's lunacy and we have 150 million democrats in this country you're telling me that there isn't one out there who can't <laughs> look her in the eyes and say listen lady you're not cut out for this line of work what that's a like, broken system you, you know what that is is like okay <laughs> you, you, you've got your assignment you have to write a 1500 word essay and you're at like 1480 <laughs> <laughs> that's totally it fill the blue book son fill the blue book i just don't i to me when I see, you might be right, Duncan. I mean, because you're right. I, it's hard for me to imagine that there is a human being who breathes air into their lungs who could come up with that sentence <laughs> and think, that's it. It's just, I hit it. It's stunning because, you know, you have Bill Clinton, you have Barack Obama. <laughs> I don't, we don't agree with their politics, but those guys can make a speech. You're telling me they go from Bill Clinton to Barack Obama to this? You find me an insurance salesman anywhere in the country, and I guarantee you they blow her out of the water. Yeah, <laughs> no question, dude. No question. Oh, my gosh. It's just incredible. Well, welcome back to the Ruthless Friday program. It's been a hell of a week. Uh, we, like, we got a high-energy program here for you today. Um, fellas, what should we start with? Should we do the five stars? 100%. Let's do it. Uh, we always start with the voice on that kind of thing. I hope you have your document pulled up. For fear of Duncan lighting you up like a Christmas tree again, you know I do have it pulled up just in case. I didn't. I didn't want to risk. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to risk the humiliation again. Uh, this one is uh, titled "Thank You for Bringing Awareness to Human Trafficking," and um, this is this is referring to a story that Holmes flagged for us last week. Very important story. Yeah, the New York Times story. Yeah, and they write, "Hello, fellas. I had to write in and thank you for the segment last." Thursday on human trafficking and the child exploitation that's happening right here in the U.S. in every state and every town in America. Media outlets rarely report on it, and I am just so grateful for the light you shone on this horrific evil. No, oh, it's great. Yeah, it, I, I mean, it's a it, dude. It is. A, it's a. It's a real thing. It is very important story. I work for an organization, Operation Underground Railroad, that fights to end human trafficking in the U.S. and across the globe, and we need voices like yours with reach and influence to help spread awareness. Thanks again for the show and the tremendous work that you do. Well, it's very nice. Yeah. That is a very nice, and, and honestly, it, it's one of those things that I think for some reason, because we live in the United States and we have incredible freedoms here and, and historically have had great legal protections and constitutional rights and all of those things, that that we feel like we've sort of ridded the evils of slavery and mm -hmm. ridded the evils of all of these things and they couldn't possibly happen. Like these are things that happen in like Sudan. Mm -hmm. And you read stories like the one in the New York Times last week. Again, for folks who didn't catch that one, it, the New York Times of all places, like it tells you how horrific it is that they're willing to publish this. The Biden administration has essentially allowed coyotes to traffic children and put them into slavery essentially mm -hmm. in the United States working in sweatshops. So their their whole take on like, hey, you know, the, the, the nicer, you know, more caring approach 
to uh, uh, immigration is just an open border, which allows coyotes basically to create this slavery system. Yeah, I mean, there's evil in the world. And once you come to grips with that, you understand why these sort of well-intended but grossly naive policies result in shit like this. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, thanks for that comment. Smog, you got the next one? Absolutely. So this is from JFigs100, and it is correcting the Philly slander. I I (laughs) cannot wait. Hey, fellas, I've been a listener since day one. Thank you. And look forward to the program every Tuesday and Thursday. However, I do need to correct your (laughs) slander of Philly sports fans a few episodes ago, as it is my hometown. Mm. The, quote, throwing snowballs at Santa incident of 68 is a mainstream media favorite to dispassionate Philly sports (laughs) fans. The fans were rightfully angry. Since the 2-11 Eagles were winning the game and losing our draft pick, the stands were not properly cleared of snow, and the Santa had a lousy costume and was probably drunk. Santa deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) Love the show. Keep it up. I love that. And you know what the Uh, thing is, is that the snowballs, I could have looked the other way. The the, Energizer batteries. The batteries. (laughs) The Energizer batteries. Did we need to throw the batteries at Santa? Santa deserved it is just an incredible take. Santa deserved it. <laughs> I do have to appreciate Philly fans for being that passionate that they would leave a review <laughs> <laughs> about it to correct the record. In fairness, like when I first met my wife's family yeah. and I brought this up and they were talking about, you know, who what teams they support and they're all like hardcore Philly fans, Eagles fans, Phillies fans, and everything else. And I brought this up. I'm like, look, I think throwing batteries is a, a, a bridge too far. <laughs> you got to draw the line somewhere. The, the, the next 20 minutes, I got a lecture on exactly what was surmised, summarized here. Yeah. <laughs> it was exactly about like, you don't understand. No, every, everybody has the talking points. You don't understand what was happening. The context by which Santa right. got the batteries right. is important. It's important information. Alice, the mainstream media is covering for Big Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Philly's the victim. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Duncan. All right, you're going to make me read the sad one here. Mm-hmm. This is from Matt PVA. Uh, the title is, Can I Give This 10 Stars? The variety program is just the greatest. I've been a faithful listener since day one and haven't missed a single banger of an episode. Thank you nice. so much. I look forward to every Tuesday, Thursday, and occasional midweek bone tossed our way. Love to listen to the fellas break it all down on my my daily morning run, and I've always had my faithful four-legged companion at my side, Ruby, a Rhodesian Ridgeback, a breed ignorantly maligned by Smug. <laughs> he didn't. Did you take a shot at the Rhodesian? Yeah, he did. But I've been told is like these are marathon dogs. Like they just love to run. Well, like, good thing get, he's a runner. They got to run. Okay. Yeah. All right. While animals are most definitely on the attack against mankind, this domesticated jewel was fully committed to the human side of the struggle. At some point, I started warning her as we started our jog that this is a ruthless run. I guess trying to prepare her for sudden outbursts of laughter along the running trail. Each run with that dog listening to Ruthless has been my favorite of the week. Wearing a Ruthless apparel, we even made friends with with some other duos on the trail over our mutual love of the program. Yes, Gotta love it. I love Gotta love that. It. In the wild, when you see a Ruthless shirt, it, it is... It's the best thing that can happen. The best. Sadly, a brief and aggressive form of cancer took Ruby from my family last week. Oh, so man. So sorry to hear that. Devastating. As an homage to the program, we did, we did get a chance to give our old pup one last meal on Earth. 
and it sure delivered. She devoured a USDA prime ribeye steak. Yes. Sweet potatoes with extra butter, cottage cheese with bacon bits, and some Hershey kisses. Truly going out sideways. <laughs> I love it. I am going to miss that dog with every fiber of my, be- my being, especially listening to Ruthless with her running by my side. Thanks for all the insight and entertainment. Most importantly, the laughs, fellas. Wish I could give this pod 10 stars. Oh, Thanks so much for that. Matt, so what a sorry for that. great I mean, review. Yeah, I mean, look, all of us have had dogs and lost dogs, and we love them, and geez, I, that's a tough deal. Yeah. There's just no way to contextualize it in a way that's like, it's you, just forever, right? Yeah. You just miss them forever. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you for the review. That's great. Um, let's get into some serious business here for a minute. Uh, this is a topic that we have not discussed, I don't think, in like a month, maybe two months. Mm-hmm. But it's all coming to a head now. It's the, the topic of the debt ceiling. Mm. And what's important to remember here is that this is a debt ceiling about debt that's been accrued because of the absolutely lawless and completely irresponsible spending of the Biden administration and not one but two multi-trillion dollar packages passed entirely by Democrats last Congress. Mm-hmm. Um completely insane we also know that they have no accountability for this whatsoever like they they actually don't see spending us into oblivion as an economic problem which is amazing to me right i mean the way that you just conceptualize your budget at home or conceptualize you know even your business's budget the any kind of dollars and cents things that you would deal with somehow if you are left of center in this country it makes little to no difference how much money you obligate for something and how much you owe other countries and other people. Especially right after tax day, you'd think, come on, guys. Yeah, you, you'd get that right after tax day. Mm-hmm. It, it, the only thing that ever has made sense to me, and I think it, maybe it was McConnell who brought this up to me, is that like every single Democratic operative has never built anything. Mm-hmm. right? Every single person that you see at the hierarchy of democratic politics. And I'm not talking about like all Democrats clearly, but but when you look at the same people been hanging around this place for 25 years, yep. you're talking about people who haven't run so much as a lemonade stand. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like they just get the taxes taken out every two weeks and they don't really think about it, how to balance the books. And they've never actually seen what it is that the average American's contribution to what we're collectively doing here as a country is. Mm-hmm. And so they have no appreciation for it. And I think that's I think that that has to be a part of the equation because I can't wrap my mind around something else. I mean, how is it that you think that you take in two and a half, three trillion dollars and you spend eight and it works? Yeah, they don't care. Nobody makes them care. You know, the press does not like push them to actually care about how much money they're spending or what they're spending and on the press doesn't even push them to care about whether their candidates can put two sentences together right you're a democrat the press writes nice things about you and you can do whatever you want and there's a consequence to it everybody else is paying the bill and here we are getting ready to pay a very big bill. a very big bill so the way that the the debt ceiling works is you basically have a ceiling that obligates how much debt you can have as a country. Now, we've long since blown through that, blew through that with the Inflation Reduction Act, but the bill's coming due. And this is about whether or not America can pay the bills it's already accrued. Now, 
I think a hardline stance on that would say, okay, we're not going to do it because you're you spent it, and that's it. Like I'm not going to pay the bill for something I disagreed with, and that hypothetically makes sense. The problem is, is that credit in this country and what debts we're obligated to other countries all have ramification on not the government. The government doesn't make a difference one thing or another, but it starts to have a huge ramification on social security checks on, I mean, we saw when we started to deal with this in, I think back in 2011, uh, credit ratings agencies downgraded the United States for the first time in American history. Mm -hmm. It gives China basically an edge in borrowing power against the United States. In order to get credit in this country, in order to obtain a loan, if you start defaulting on debts at the national level, you're not dealing with the traditional three to seven percent that we've dealt with over the last 30 years. You're dealing with like 15, 20, 25 percent. How many people can buy a car or a home on that? Mm-hmm. Nobody, right? Not to mention what happens to the markets and everything else when you're talking about IRAs, you're talking about 401ks, you're talking about life savings and teachers' pensions and and union Retirees pensions. Retirees on a fixed income. It, all of that stuff immediately becomes the first to go. It's not the, like the billionaire and the average person on Wall Street is long since hedged on all this shit. Like they're protected. The issue, you're first to go. If, if, if this country defaults on its debt, you are the one that bears the brunt of it. And that is sort of all, we've had a 10 year argument about the debt ceiling. And believe you me, I wish to God we could figure out how to deal with debt in a serious way. But you heard two weeks ago when I was just rip shit pissed off about the argument that we were having between Trump and DeSantis about 71% of our budget not being negotiable. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the problem, right? Because right now the conversation, and it's all such a fucking glib conversation of, well, you know, you got to pay your credit card bill when it comes due. And this is America's credit card, which is like, okay, well, on the other side, when the spending is happening, you say people are going to die. Well, yeah, but that the Democrats say if we don't spend this money, people are going to die. Yep. Right. You know, and so like our options are um, pay for the the spending on the credit card. And then the next time it comes up for more spending, they're going to say, well, if we don't do this spending, then more people are going to die. And so it's like, you know, back to your point on on, on Trump and DeSantis, if, like we're having an argument about 71 percent of the budget. We're not allowed to touch it ever. Then, I mean, we're losing every side of this argument. Everything else like, where, is like, where, defense. Right. Like, where do we actually win on any of this? It's just yeah, really depressing. It's it's extremely depressing. But that's a, a, a larger argument that needs to be made. And I think there's only one party in this country that's capable of making it, which is why I was frustrated about it. Right. But <clears throat> be that as it may, what has happened is you have to raise the debt ceiling in order for these terrible economic ramifications not to hit the American people. Uh, McCarthy uniquely uniquely understands this. He's been around. He's watched as we have tried to use during the Obama administration. This is an opportunity to leverage real spending change. And we were successful back in 2011 in doing that. And in fact, if you look back at the numbers in terms of uh, we've never been fiscally responsible in the last 20 years, Mm -hmm. but we were most fiscally responsive responsible in a six year period during the Obama years, not because of what Obama wanted to do, because we wouldn't let him do anything if he didn't cut spending to, in order to do it, mm-hmm. right? So Republican Congress is uniquely the only way that you can actually get people to the table to reduce spending in this country, well, period. It's, and it's interesting that you say get get people to the table because it sounds like 
Kevin McCarthy and conservatives in the House are ready to move forward on this. The big question is, will Joe Biden meet with McCarthy and actually do his part? So, so Biden that, said, Biden said, I will meet with Kevin McCarthy, but not about the debt ceiling. So, yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, how I mean come on. How insane. So I want to read everybody into why what's happening here. So Democrats from the very beginning of this Congress, when they watched the speaker election, started elevating the debt ceiling as the end and the ruin of Speaker McCarthy. They were saying it will there will be no Republican House majority when the debt ceiling comes along because this guy, as evidenced by the debate over electing a speaker itself, is incapable of getting unanimity within his conference in order to pass something. And that has been their position. And as this has gone along, we've known that we've had to do this before June since January. And the position of the Biden administration and Chuck Schumer in the Senate is we are not negotiating over the debt ceiling. That is a bullshit argument in and of itself because we've done it many, many times. I've been personally at the table as we've negotiated it 10 years ago. Like that is that is a bullshit argument. Everybody knows it's a bullshit argument. But with their wink and the nod to like reporters around the country, what they're saying is we don't think he can pass it. And if he doesn't pass it, we're going to get closer to the cliff and Americans are going to start experiencing economic hardship. And we think then they've got a choice about either they just levy economic hardship upon the American people that they'll be blamed for or they pass a clean debt ceiling, which is what what is that we want. No spending cuts. Right. That's what he means by clean. No spending cuts whatsoever. That's their position. So their bet for three months running is we're not going to have a negotiation at all until the House passes something. Okay. They've also moved the ball in that they, they want a budget from the House. They want all these other things. It's all just smokescreen. Basically, they just don't think he's going to be able to get it done. If he can't get it done, they're going to be right. And and by the time you're listening to this, I, I, I think they're, they're going to vote on this either sometime late Wednesday or early Thursday. If for some reason that doesn't get done, Biden's right. He's that the, the bet was right that all of a sudden we're going to be in a situation where you are experiencing significant economic ramifications on this country, and you're going to find Democrats and Republicans that just want this off the table so their constituents don't get punished. But it's it's wild to me that the Democrats in the Senate can stand pat. The president can stand pat, do nothing, say nothing productive on this entire thing in the debt ceiling. Kevin McCarthy has to do everybody's job for them. And the reporters are like, hmm, uh, I don't know if Kevin McCarthy can get this done. Yeah, like, that's so fucking wild. Like, they're not doing shit. Joe Biden's not doing shit. He can barely talk. He can't even negotiate with McCarthy. And it's like, uh, we all, all of the whole Washington press corps is like, hmm. I don't know if McCarthy's up to the task. And yeah, like, totally. Like, how insane is that? Yeah, because their pl- their plan, <laughs> which they could pass unanimous, like with unanimous yeah. Democrat support, is nothing. There's nothing. You don't do anything, right? So, what's your plan? Yeah. And what is happening now? And they've they've had some issues with like ethanol provisions, or whatever. They've argued uh, with the Midwestern delegation that I've now since understood that they've solved and Republicans are getting close to getting that number to be able to pass it is if they pass it, if they pass it, they then have the ultimate F you to Biden and Schumer because it's now on their plate and they don't have a plan. 
They don't have a plan. I mean, that's so to me, you know, on, on this topic is I want to know, you know, why should people care this time as opposed to every time this comes up and every single time it's always going to be like a nothing burger or Republicans somehow get burned on it. Like, how is this time something different? How is this sometime, you know, a, 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 an instance of where we should actually care about it? Well, legislation is team ball. And the reason why it's so important that they pass this out of the House of Representatives and they have to do it almost unanimously in order to get it out is because your leverage is zero until you do that. And if you figure it out how to pass it, then your leverage increases exponentially. Democrats go from a position of no negotiation to now they have to negotiate because they're not going to be able to get a clean debt ceiling out of the United States Senate provided that the House passed something that's sitting on their plate. Hmm. So now you have to negotiate with them. Biden has to come to the table. Schumer has to come to the table. What the result of that is, is unquestionably going to be less than what everybody wants. It's unquestionably going to be an ugly solution to the end of it. But it is miles and miles more conservative than a clean debt ceiling. Mm -hmm. Like what they're talking about here is recouping some of that COVID aid that just went unspent and just billions sloshing around out there, increasing inflation and everything else. They're talking about making that energy bill that we talked about that was, I mean, just remarkably good legislation, law, like it's in there. They're talking about a number of, of really sort of important concessions that this administration could and should make if they were being responsible with the economic future of the American people, which they're charged with representing here. So now they are going to be in the position of trying to defend nothing. We're not going to do anything. And that's why this is so important that they get this done. Now, where it goes over the next couple of weeks, I don't know. But if the Biden administration and Chuck Schumer, in response to them passing something, say, we're not going to do anything, well, then I think that's like a megaphone to the American people. These people would rather bankrupt your 401k, your retirement, put America's credit and standing in the world in complete disarray than deal with the politics of trying to defund their favorite state and local aid. So uh, I want to make sure I got So I think that kind of makes sense. So essentially, if Republicans pass a, a, in the House a debt ceiling bill, that's how you get around essentially what Democrats are doing right now of being like, oh, they have no plan. We knew KMAC couldn't get it done. And then once we have that in hand, once it's passed, it's like, well, we have a we plan. did our job. It's on, And you'll have every Senate Republican supporting it. So you need 11 Democrats. So you tell me, if why is it that Sherrod Brown and Joe Manchin and Jackie Rosen and and John Tester and the rest of them that are up for re-election want to jeopardize the future of their economic uh, uh, situation with all the people they're supposed to represent in order to just be a hardliner with Joe Biden. Mm. Like that, that then gives you leverage to have a negotiation. Mm -hmm. Now, do I expect the Senate and Joe Biden to just swallow whole what it is that the House is doing? No, not at all. But at, right now, they're saying we're going to do nothing. We're going to do nothing. That makes sense. And if you meet somewhere outside of nothing, you as a congressional Republican majority have taken the first real step, real step because it has to be signed into law to try to reduce some spending in this country. You come away with a win. It's like, here's here's the starting point. Here's the negotiation. We did our job. 
Now you can either get to the table and do your job and negotiate it, or this is 100% on you. Yeah, I mean, it, t- it takes away their 11th hour play to do a clean debt ceiling, right? Like, And that's what they want to do right r- now. They're stalling for time right now. They're hoping, praying that Kevin McCarthy doesn't figure it out so that they can say that. And obviously, I don't think that's going to happen. Just today, Wednesday, they passed the rules package to consider the legislation. So, like, that's the last procedural hurdle before this thing they've goes done to the remarkable floor, like, tonight remember there there are like 19 or 20 house republicans here who have never supported a debt ceiling and including the whip emmer never once voted for a debt ceiling increase never once but what they all understand is in order to actually do something they have to do this yeah they they know that they have to stick together because they also know that democrats and the media are going to stick together to protect the Democrats' position, the only way Republicans have any leverage whatsoever is if they stick together to push back against them. And your tactics are, in all of this stuff in politics, your tactics are determined by the leverage you have. And right now we have the House of Representatives. That's it. Right? We have one of three branches. That's it. I mean, that that is, (laughs) that's it. And you've got to figure out how to use your leverage in order to bring other people to the table. Now, you know, there are some people I think that would say, well, just don't do anything and let them all figure it out. Well, the problem is that they will figure it out because there are enough people who don't want to see calamity strike their constituency and they'll ultimately come to a knee on it. Like there's no other way. You can't watch everybody in your district or your state lose their retirement and say, well, I'm just waiting for people to be fiscally responsible in Washington, D.C. Like you can't do that. What you can do is use all of your leverage to make sure that you've done something to address the issue that you care about and get it over the finish line. Because giving big speeches and talking about how much you care about this shit is irrelevant. You're there to do a job. And if they don't get this job done and they don't get bring these guys to the table, what's the purpose of having it in the first place? You might as well have an all-democratic majority. If you had a, a Democratic president, Democratic Senate, and Democratic House, you could pass a clean, clean debt ceiling. Well, let me put a finer point on it, for example, of one of these reforms. There's, you know, there, there, the GOP leadership in the, in the House added in a work requirement for able-bodied Americans to be getting, um, you know, assistance unemployment assistance and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's good right? stuff in there. And yeah. the reason why that's so important is it's a, I mean, we, we talked about that Wisconsin Supreme Court race mm-hmm. in the context of the other ballot issues that were on the ballot. And the Republican lost that election by 11 points. This issue of able-bodied Americans needing to be looking for work in order to qualify, it won, it won 80-20. Right. 80-20. Mm-hmm. So I'd love nothing more than a negotiation in which the Republicans get to be fiscally responsible and go to President Biden and have him explain why something that's an 80-20 issue with the American people is something he can't have. Let's have have a national discussion (laughs) about why we won't raise the debt ceiling right? because you won't allow Mm -hmm. for reasonable work requirements on able-bodied Americans. An 80-20 issue in one of the key swing states that will determine who the next president of the United States is. That's how you do effective politics. Right. That's that's huge. That's huge. It's not only how you make meaningful change, it's how you do effective politics. I know we get all revved up about like, you know, the caustic sort of I'm over my dead body type stuff, but at the end of the day, what happens is nothing. Right. You don't get anything out of it. 
yeah. and your politics d- depreciate. They don't appreciate. Mm. And now we have an opportunity to do both. And if we have a national discussion about that or that energy bill, yeah. or why it is that we appropriated $2.1 trillion in COVID spending that's just sloshing around right. out there, like, yes, yeah, please, yeah. let's have that debate. You tell me why we can't do that. And, and all of those Democratic senators that you met, mentioned earlier, I'd love to get them on the record of why we can't do these reforms. Let's, let's, let's just go ex- have that go discussion. Ex- go explain that to the voters. Yeah, go explain <laughs> that. My guess is they can't. Yeah. And my guess is you win. And that's how you play hardball. It's not playing hardball against your own people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I got to tip my cap to McCarthy and the House crew for doing the Lord's work on understanding how this leverage thing works right from the very beginning and going to work on it. And by the way, it's the end of April. Mm-hmm. The timeline is June. They're doing it in a responsible, reasonable way. They're not backing up to the absolute deadline and trying to like throw up their hands and saying this or, or nothing. They're trying to get this president to be responsible, something that he has chosen time and time again not to be. Well, that's right. a great point. So anyway, all right, that's the debt ceiling thing. You ought, to, you ought to just know about it because it's gonna be a lot of news over the next six weeks. We like to give you your briefing ahead of time. Uh, okay, so we talked a little bit about the Kamala thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it, so this is Anita Dunn? Yeah. Is this what this is? Anita Dunn at it again? Isn't she doing work for TikTok? Like yeah. Like safe TikTok? Of- yeah. Yeah. So now it's inside. We made reference at the top of the program. Top White House officials are rushing to the aid of Vice President Kamala Harris to try to shore up her underwhelming poll numbers <laughs> heading into 2024. Mm. Harris's numbers are even worse than President Biden's. I mean, that is just wow. <laughs> <laughs> Think how hard that is. And he's hitting his like all-time lows. And they're like, well, actually, Kamala's worse. <laughs> like, even those of us who are, like, super supportive of Trump acknowledge that he's done some shit that, like, the rest of the country, you're like, hey, I get what well, he's I get, he, I get he why certainly, hate it. Yeah, he's polarizing. Right? She does has no power to do anything. Right. And she's worse. Yes. I mean, that's just amazing. Yeah. Like, like there are channels completely dedicated. The entire media is essentially dedicated and has been for years of like whether it's Russiagate, whether it's any there's there's district attorneys in this country trying to do everything they can to like bring Trump's numbers down. Yeah, and Kamala's are still worse, <laughs> and nobody's working on it. It's just her, amazing, and her speechwriter who has an eloquent as well, it gets. That's the thing. I mean, say what you will about Anita Dunn. Anita Dunn did not write those remarks that Kamala delivered at the top of our program. Let me just no, she's make actually that a pretty bright clear. lady, which is a little scary. The, uh, but this is this is actually pretty interesting to me, fellas. These next two lines in the Axios piece. The first is that there's zero chance that Biden will replace her on the ticket because, according to them, doing so would be an omission that he botched the most <laughs> important decision he made as a candidate. So that's in print mm-hmm. in Axios, mm-hmm. which means someone in the Biden administration told a reporter at a reputable Washington, D.C. publication that's their thinking on it. It's not that they didn't think that she was like the best person for the job. They're like, well, it would make Biden look like an idiot and have to admit he fucked <laughs> so, up. So we got to just, you yeah. Know. yeah. I mean, the alternative is admitting we fucked up. Dance with the one who brung you, I guess. But the next line is equally as entertaining, boys. Uh, Harris, initially saddled by Biden with no-win issues such as immigration and stalled voting rights, has frustrated many of his top aides. So it's it's Biden's fault. 
So it's like, Saddled. yeah, here, here is the Kamala side of this that, oh, it's not her fault. Biden told her to talk to do immigration and told her to do voting rights. Which she promptly didn't do, by the way. Right. right. That's the funniest part. You know, when Obama saddled Biden with like administering the stimulus program, you remember this? Yeah. You're like, well, he's going to be the head honcho for that. He's going to be in an impossible job. They're sloshing money into it, like what would in- inevitably be a corrupt mm-hmm. distribution. And like, yeah, well, he's in charge. So if anything goes wrong, you talk to Biden about it. Like he got through that because he just sort of managed it a little bit. Her answer to the immigration thing was like, well, I'm not going to the border. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck all <laughs> that. It, well, it, it gets it gets better. She has suffered frequent staff turnover <laughs> and rarely has been entrusted with high-profile assignments. <laughs> of course And not. here's the thing. Is also, so I've, I've mentioned this on the program before. Shockingly, shockingly enough, I have a, a number of Democrats who like will hit up my DM, send me messages, because they know this is especially when there's a Democrat primary going on. They know if they have dirt on another Democrat, they send it to me. I get it out there, and everyone's like, "Oh no, the big bad Republicans are at it again," you know, and it covers their tracks. Oh, so you're a dual operator. The number of like shots that I have gotten from Biden people being like, "Kamala's the worst. Hate dealing with her and her team." Kamala people being like, "Biden's the worst." Like. That's an issue. They just yeah. They, there's an animosity there. Do not care for each other at all. And like, I mean, a lot of it is like, look, she called him a racist on stage, but he's handcuffed. Of like, well, I told everyone I would I'd, I'd pick a black woman. She, Kamala didn't even make it to Iowa, but I gotta <laughs> put her on the ticket, even though she was like, "You're a racist, you're a ra- <laughs> Joe Biden. You're a racist." Yeah. Well, Kamala Harris, you're hired. <laughs> it is this line though. This line, honestly blows me away i didn't know this was true which tells you everything you need to know about right i, I keep a pretty pretty close ear to the ground harris hasn't had a communications director since jamal simmons left in december what? <laughs> so no one's writing that shit. <laughs> you're right duncan she's yeah. doing it yeah she's doing it on her own yeah that nonsense is coming out of her own hand oh yeah her own thing <laughs> her team's like should we hire a communications director and she's like at this moment in history, we have to consider the context of where we are at this moment. And it just breaks down and everyone just leaves the room. It just keeps going. Well, apparently they did ask somebody. Her, According to Axios, her office did pitch veteran Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri about the post, but she demurred. <laughs> Dude, that is, so, wow. that is so amazing for so many levels. because it's Twist of the knife. Because... Jennifer Palmieri, who's been around for a long time, I think she, she was, did she was Clinton like Hillary stuff. Clinton's yeah. contractor or something, right? She was deeply involved in Clinton stuff, and then had been around for a lot longer than that. Uh, had to have confirmed and said that she was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, she's like, I knew. I don't want to be. <laughs> I made to do that shit. Right? Are you kidding me? So, but like, imagine being a Democratic operative on the record, being the vice president, asked me to do something, and I'm like, ah, fuck that. Hell no. So this wasn't included in our, our briefing here on this story, but I found this very hilarious. This is the best color in the entire thing, in my opinion, and it tells you just how infantile her entire operation is. Okay. Some White House and administration officials say the vice president's team has started to steady because of chief of staff Lorraine Voles, who took over the post a year ago. Voles, trying to improve the office's culture, had everyone take a Myers-Briggs. No! (laughs) No! 
Then compare their personality profiles according to two people familiar with the moves. Dude, no! they're, they're doing icebreakers and fucking <laughs> trust falls. They're re- reading their horoscopes. Two and a half years in. They're like, I want to know who here identifies as a Leo. We got to improve the office culture. Oh, no. Can't, can't put them you- next to a Pisces. <laughs> How did uh. Jamal make you feel when he said that? <laughs> oh, that's what we're dealing with at the highest level of government? Bro, we're like one step away from healing crystals. <laughs> oh, my Lord, that's incredible. Well, we're not sure which issue Kamala's going to take on next, but we brought a Ouija board to help us. <laughs> All right, you guys want some animal news? Yes. Always. All right, the, the, the fake deer meth story. This is this has been huge for folks who have not been following online. We got tagged a lot in this. Yeah, so there was a story about apparently uh, a woman had been taking in deer and training them to to to, to fight, right? To fight like to attack hunters, uh, attack hunters, right? Yeah, to go on the offensive, and that she was on meth. But apparently, it's like this, ISIS deers. This yeah. is, apparently, this is fake news somehow. So so the AP here is trying to clear it up. I love it they got on this assignment. Yeah. So this is from the AP. It says, claim a woman in Summit, Arkansas, was arrested on Friday after she trained deer to attack hunters and fed the animals meth. Oh, so they were in on the meth, too. All right. You know what? I would not fact check this. You know? It's like Santa. You got to let the people believe in something. Wasn't, it the, wasn't it the squirrel that yeah. was the meth? It right. was a meth squirrel. There was. Right. And that was confirmed. Right. So when meth I squirrel's true. When people were tagging us in this story, I immediately believed it because... Because of the meth squirrel. Because of the meth squirrel. We yeah. saw that story. Right. So apparently the AP has taken it upon themselves to say this is false. Yeah, so this is what that says, AP's assessment, false. The claim first appeared in a post by a Facebook page <laughs> that is clearly labeled as satire. A woman in a photo accompanying the post was arrested on multiple drug-related charges in Indiana last year. A second photo that shows a deer standing on furniture in a house was taken in Canada in 2019. Here are the facts. A fabricated story illustrated with the photos is circulating widely on social media, Bridget Watkins, 43, of Summit, Arkansas, who allegedly took fawns into her home and raised the deer with the intentions of training them to attack hunters, uh, was taken into custody Friday post-red. At the time of arrest, Watkins was in possession of several grams of meth, four deer, and many so, uh, stolen broken electronics. That is kind of like Santa. Yeah. She's yeah. almost got the whole sleigh full. Right. Ready to go. But, I mean, it broke my heart seeing that this wasn't true. Like, this is one of those things you don't fact check. I, I still think it's true. AP's in the pocket of big deer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or do you think, like, maybe Hank floated it out there yeah. so he's nodding on his on his stuff? They're, yeah, he's trying to take them off the scent. Yeah, he's like, no, 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 animals are innocent bystanders here. It's the deer are the problem. The deer. <laughs> So, so I have another animal story, and this is like a lot worse, but this is true, and it's it's kind of terrible. Uh, this is from the New York Post. The, the the headline is "I feed my daughter crickets for protein. It saves hundreds on grocery bills." Oh, uh, wait, Biden economy, ladies and gentlemen. Wait, 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 wait. This is for real. This is for real. This is in the Post. It says in a new essay for Insider, food writer. This is what's crazy. This is a, no, apparently a food writer. No. Food writer Tiffany Lee revealed that she feeds her 18-month-old daughter crickets as oh. a source of protein, claiming it saves her hundreds of dollars on grocery bills. The Toronto mom started to supplement her daughter's more costly protein diet of beef, chicken, and pork with whole-roasted crickets, cricket protein powder, and Cheeto-like cricket puff snacks. Come on. No. She said she's been able to cut down her grocery bill of... Uh, Two hundred fifty dollars to three hundred a week, to between one fundraising- hundred and two hundred. 
Uh, Wait, hold on, hold on. This is 100% What does this lady do? She's a journalist? She's a a food writer Mm. in Canada, and the kid Mm. is 18 months old, and she was like, listen, you know, instead of feeding my child chicken, it's time to feed them the bugs. Wouldn't Wouldn't you love to find out where the rest of the allocation of that money is. She's like, yeah, I got drinks with the fellas. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, and, Kid right. gets crickets, but I'm going to eat a Mark Devil Right, yeah. It just so happens that this crazy thing I'm doing gets clicks for my beat. Right, right, <laughs> and exactly. And she's a food writer. That's the best part. Exactly. She's, she's going out by definition, going out to like incredible restaurants and trying their food, right? right? Right. She gets the best of the best. The kid gets crickets. Crickets! And, and, and this is the thing is, you know, there was, there's always t- it was like the gas stove thing, where where Dems were trying to be like, no, we didn't say anything about we're going to take away the gas stoves. They're like, oh no, you know, just because all these climate agendas say the crickets are good to eat, right. we would never do such a thing. <laughs> and now you're like, you know, Duncan, I think is who coined the term climate death cult. This is what happens to people. Like mm-hmm. the libs keep thinking this is every it. three years the world's going to end. I have to feed my child bugs. This is it. And this is what happens. It's like horrific. Either that or she's just super sadistic about the old budget allocation. And I, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, you take a step back. This is in so many issues where it's like, if we just went back 10 years, Child Protective Services <laughs> right. and a SWAT team would kick in the door. Right. Totally. In so many instances. Totally. But and now, now it's, it's just now like, it's... it should be celebrated, you know? <laughs> Okay, but it doesn't even stop with the crickets here. More mm. from the article, it says insects may also be a great source of vitamins and minerals such as iron, zinc, and Come calcium. On. You know what also is? A fucking steak. Yeah. Um, <laughs> according to Everyday I mean, Health. Like, any Lee, food can have right. this. Lee plans to continue giving her daughter other edible insects like ants, grasshoppers, and worms. I mean, oh good God. Worms. She's like, she's not, a fucking bird. She's not a, <laughs> exa- she's not a bluegill. We're crying out loud. She's a child. <laughs> a bluegill. <laughs> Any kind of a panfish, really. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Unbelievable, dude. I mean, I mean this sincerely. I would whore myself out before I would feed my kid in that. <laughs> 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 Oh. 10 minutes, $400. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, I mean that's yeah, insane. But I think, your kid worms? Dude, I think Ashbrook nailed it here. I think this is all just, it's for the beat. You know, she's doing it because this is her beat, and she needs to find a way to get clicks. Oh, so this is a... This is a yeah, I, I think oh, that so. That is so messed up. Controversial. Uh, it's, it's the food writer version of peacocking. You know, you're trying to separate yourself from And you know what? Else. This is the other problem is like, you know, it, it, I, I completely believe that. It's like you see all these instances of like the wine mom who's like, I'm going to make poor decisions for my children because I think my book club is Men, going to like yeah, it. And many I'm going to make a cases. TikTok about this. <laughs> well, and so and my, my wife talks about this a lot because she, she'll go every once in a while on like the mommy blogs mm-hmm. and stuff. <laughs> I think... <laughs> there we go. Let's hear it. Wind him up. Put a quarter in his back. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is a step removed from like ISIS message boards. <laughs> it is a terrible place. And the reason why is very simple. A lot of these people just go on there and fucking lie. Oh, you know, my six-month-old, they eat, like, turkey uh, club sandwiches. You know, I, you, know I, you know what I mean? Like, oh, your kid's not on solids yet? You know? It's like, it's all it is is for, a people, for pe- narcissistic people to go in there and talk about how great their kid is and how your kid's a failure through all these stories that are clearly fake. 
But, oh. but to a point you often make, Michael, they just want to drink a box of Franzia and complain <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> the <laughs> lib wine moms really are the worst in society. And so, like, my thinking is, like you guys said, like, when it said that she's a food writer, she's like, oh, God, here's how I SEO optimize my name out there and, and, and get some freelance work is I feed my child bugs. Yeah. Like, at what cost, Sadistic. lady? At what cost? Ugh. So I just, I did some Googling. I think this is the per Tiffany Lee, mm-hmm. a food and travel writer, freelance writer. She's literally taking trips and hitting up like Michelin yeah. stars. And like, yeah. comes home, all right. Here's uh, your bugs. Here's your, here's your <laughs> box of crickets. <laughs> a, a freelance journalist whose work has appeared in Bloomberg Pursuits, Fashion oh, Magazine, Huff Post, Bono Petit. New York Post, Vogue, Playboy, Forbes, Departures, Fashion Magazine, Travel and Leisure, Shape Magazine, uh, Food and Wine Magazine, and others. This is insane. She's uh, living the high life and putting her kid through hell. Let me let me just let me just uh, give you a, a couple things that she's put on her uh, profile here. Uh, Valsana Hotel is contemporary and cool. Oh my god! Like she's 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 her days are spent at resorts. No one puts the Catskills in a corner. Amazing. <laughs> Las Vegas, a surprisingly prominent health and well-being hub. Oh, come on. She's like, so I went to a spa in Vegas, <laughs> came home, and my kid is on the ground crying, covered in worms. I have never <laughs> I have never been to Vegas and walked away being like, wow, this is such a healthy place. <laughs> <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever ridden the red-eye flight back from Vegas and looked around at the other seats? <laughs> Nobody looks like they're rested. And I mean, that is that is a, 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 a hell of an experience. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I almost can't believe that this is true. We're gonna have. Uh, let me give the. Let, let me give the uh, disclaimer up front that this is something. You think this is fake news? That I have just Googled. No, no, no. I'm, I don't think it's fake news. I think I've found the right thing here. But uh, I haven't done any more than a single source. Mm-hmm. But it appears to be an article here uh, from eight hours ago. Oh, boy. I almost cheated on my husband, and ultimately, it saved my marriage. What? Same? Is this the same lady? <laughs> it's by her, by Tiffany Lee. Wow. <laughs> I mean, Holy cow. She's like, I will destroy the family structure by any means necessary. For, con- for content. For content. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. A day ago, meet Honey Burdette, the best brand for sexy and sustainable lingerie. At least it's sustainable. <laughs> what the hell is sustainable lingerie? <laughs> is that like edible lingerie? What does that oh, mean, no. sustainable? Well, you put I it in think... the ground, the, the, the bugs decompose it, and then you feed the bugs to your kids. It's a circle of life. <laughs> it's just that simple. <laughs> I think the Lion King was based off a similar premise. <laughs> <laughs> Hakuna Matata, but for kids. <laughs> oh my gosh! I I don't I don't I don't know how to. Uh, we'll do a little bit more homework. If we've made a mistake, we'll let you know. But that that is a uh, oof. Yeah, that yikes. is something else. You know, we should we should brighten the mood. We should play a game. Yeah, let's do it. Let's play a game. What game are we playing? Well, it's Thursday, so we got to play King of the Hill, and I've got our defending champion Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. Let's go, uh, Holmes. Who are you bringing? Smoking Joe Walsh. Oh, wow. wow. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, well, palate cleanser. Let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill. 
in the red corner, fighting out of an empty room in Illinois, former Republican and current Twitter savant, Smokin' Joe Walsh. And now, in the blue corner, fighting out of the Washington Post and current champion of the world, Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm excited about this one. All right. Okay, so I got to go first, right, Smug? <clears throat> Defending champion goes first. Yeah. So, uh, Jennifer Rubin. Uh, you guys are familiar with the gif of Meryl Streep, the clapping, and she's up and she's pointing. Like, oh, yeah. People yeah. use it and they're like, you've made a great point. It's the yes girl. Yes, thing. queen. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah. queen. Jennifer Brainworms Rubin uses that gif. Dominion. Disney. E. Jean Carroll. Abby Grossberg. That's it. And then the gif. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Here's the, there's the gif. Well, it's a screenshot of the GIF. I think it's an award show or something. It's almost kind of like one of those "How do you do, fellow kids?" kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's just she's like, "I'll of- pull a meme from about seven years ago." <laughs> it's just, it's just, what I love about this is just the sort of thing you would have seen in like the halcyon days of RussiaGate. You know that like we're getting them. Oh yeah, walls the walls are, close, are closing, closing in. in any day now. Mueller TikTok time, you know, and it's like I wish a Mueller Christmas. That's the sort of vibe I get with this. <laughs> And it's it's the year of our Lord 2023. Yeah. Yeah. And she's still out there grinding with that sort of content. That's, I mean, it's commitment. Yes. It's a commitment. All right. So Walsh quote t- tweeted a uh, friend of the program, Katie Pavlich, who rightly pointed out uh, on about the Biden video that the man who had thousands of people fired for not wanting an effect- ineffective vaccine or targeting Second Amendment rights and subverting first the First Amendment through big tech censorship is run, running on a platform of freedom. That's mm. what she wrote, which, I, I mean, it all occurred to us. Nails it. Correct? He write, He's running on freedom because my former party, your current party, is anti-freedom. The GOP is banning books, restricting speech, punishing private companies, supporting dictators, and trying to overthrow free and fair elections give, gives Dems a great opportunity to be defenders of freedom. I mean, let's break that down. The GOP is banning books. So that, this is that, literally, literally, he switched from the GOP to the party that is simultaneously erasing the history of this country. They're they're not only erasing books, they're erasing curriculum, they're erasing monuments, they're erasing erasing names of roads. I, I you know, to me, the whole like book banning thing drives me up the wall. It drives me because crazy. it's like. Essentially, like I think Ford is a great example. They removed basically pornography. This was this was illustrated pornography being put in like elementary schools, and that's what they say is freedom. They're like, like no, no, why would you? Why would you not let the kids have their books? So to me, that is the most infuriating, disgusting thing. Drives me up the wall. For that reason, first round goes to Walsh. All right. I'm going to go for the order in the court, please. (laughs) Thank you, Bill. (laughs) For me, for me, that one was like uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger gif, uh, the the Simpsons gif. 
You know, I was elected to lead, not to read. Yeah, yeah. It was a long one, but I'll give you it was a good one. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to go for the knockout. Okay. All wow. Right. Okay. I still have two balls. <laughs> parentheses. I just checked. Closed parentheses. I'm still a conservative, and I'm happily helping Democrats defeat Republicans whether Democrats have a use for me or not, have a nice night. Is he What's qu- the time on is this? He, is he quote tweeting something? What's is this time? apropos of nothing? He's, he's quote tweeting some psycho left. I don't know. Is this some, 10 p.m., like six drinks deep? I don't have a, have I have a like, date. Shut up, Joe. I, I have a date. It's April 24th, but I'm guessing based upon have a nice night, it might have been. He's like, whether Dems think I'm useful or not. <laughs> I still have two balls. I just, just checked. checked. Jeez. I still have two balls. <clears throat> what an amazing tweet. <laughs> That's the first line. Thank you for your submission. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, here's Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. And I got to give this to her. You know, we make fun of her uh, use of the internet a lot. You know, she's not the sharpest. She's she sort of has a boomer use of the internet. She yep. sometimes will RT herself or not really do a quote tweet right and that sort of thing. She's done a poll. <laughs> I'm very proud of her that someone showed her how to make a poll on Twitter. Choose your favorite 2024 bumper sticker. <laughs> Democracy versus fascism. This is where it gets so good. Older but sane. Decent. Oh my- <laughs> Pro books, anti Putin. <laughs> it is. I mean, this imagine you had the Democratic Party selling bumper stickers that say "We're pro books and anti Putin." <laughs> and I think this is, this is like a, we're older but sane. This is the thing: is she has such terrible ideas, and I guarantee. I mean, we've we've discussed polling of like what matters to even Democrat voters, things like democracy. Book bank, all that shit is like way down, way down on the totem pole. And Jennifer Rubin constantly comes out and being like, listen, I just wish the Democrats would listen to me. Here's the bumper sticker. Yeah, you're right. Joe Biden's old. You, you, you have to you have to remember that she has a direct line of contact. Allegedly, we would believe. Oh, that's right. To Ron Klain. That's right. To like the most senior former chief of staff of the president of the United States. And one of the bumper stickers is older, but saying decent. That's her recommendation. Listen, I mean, here's, Balls, though. here's what I got to say is you really should have played that first. You really should have played that first. <laughs> I, saved I think this is probably the first time in history we're going to have two rounds challenger taking out Un- Jen Rubin. Because I just checked. I still have my balls. Dude, <laughs> tough to beat that one. I the victory the goes book. to Joe Walsh. Impossible to beat. Joe Ooh. Walsh, new champion. I had to play it. I had to use Bailiff, the momentum. Bailiff, I need some order in the courtroom. I mean, order. I order. Thought, I thought with the precedent he said of the books taken in tweet one, I would win on that alone. Yeah, well, well you, misread. You, you should have gone head to head with books instead of like you know playing it after I'd already said. This, yeah, I love this, the book. This judge. A tactical error by <coughs> counsel. Huge. I mean, this, that's the thing is, it's I thought I thought we had a judge who respected precedent. Oh, here we go. Deputy, deputy. Please escort him out of the courtroom. I'm, this is I'm the, not leaving. This is the thing. is, I don't think the content was bad. I just think it was used wrong. I think it's all on the operator okay. on that one. So, you know, okay. outstanding work, Holmes. Victory goes Walsh. to Walsh. Walsh, the king of the hill. I love it. All right, fellas. Well, I think we wrapped up a hell of a week. Yeah, absolutely. 
banger of an episode, if I may say so myself, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our listeners. We love seeing our numbers grow. We love hearing stories about ruthless fans meeting each other out in the wild. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.